Hello and welcome to this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing three shark films, Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, and, uh, Sharknado. And welcome to episode 101, Jumping the Shark, which you didn't actually think we were going to do. Special bonus episode! Special bonus episode! April Fools, everybody. You were the April Fool because you thought that our tweet was the April Fool joke, but actually... We are the April Fools. Was it? I, this is getting weirdly recursive already. I'm just going to move, <laughs> move on with it. I'm Alex, and I'm Megalodon. Megalodon? How do you pronounce that? The giant ancient one. Yes, I'm Freya, and I'm the Wobbegong shark. I'm Macy, and I am whale sharks, which no one knows where they give birth, and they look like they're made of stars. Perfect. Mm. Perfect. Mm. We are still three red-headed fantasy authors. And today we thought that we would just briefly come out of retirement, just a little bit, just for funsies, to do like a little yes. fun gremlin episode where we talk about... Shark movies. This is all because Alex wanted to watch Sharknado. <laughs> well, it was because I was like, you know what would be really funny is if we did an April <laughs> Fool's joke, but then it wasn't an April Fool's joke. <laughs> and of course it had to be about something like completely like stupid sounding that was like almost plausible, but not really plausible, that could sound like it had a joke tentpole. <laughs> Which was Sharknado. The problem is that Macy's opinion of April Fools is that you should only ever do April Fools Day gifts, not pranks. Oh. And so now we actually Well this it. is a this is a, is a gift. gift. This is an April Fool's Day. That's what I'm saying. No. It's both. It's a prank gift. <laughs> it's both. It's a present from us to from you. Full of sharks. Full just like an <laughs> astonishing number of sharks. In all of these movies. It's like movies. that scene in the beginning of a porn movie where a guy comes to the door with a pizza box and opens it. And instead of a dick, this time it's a shark. Well done. You have a present. Great. <laughs> Please take this away from me. Please, Alex, save me. Uh, so, but before we get into some very sharky movies and argue about whether or not any of them have deep literary merit... Um, what have we been reading, fellow serpents? And, you know, it's been a little while, so let's just sort of touch on some highlights. What have we been up to? What have mm -hmm. we been doing? What have we been enjoying? Yeah, we have to stick to highlights because for a little bit of context, since the beginning of the year, I have so far read 41 books. Ha! Freya! And, <laughs> and some fan fiction. How? Uh, well... I had a little bit of time off over Christmas and New Year's and just like mainline romances. And now I am off work with uh, hand surgery. So I have had a bit more time. So highlights. I'm going to talk about a few things that are completely different areas of media. So let's just go for some variety. Um, I did read a 240,000 word Stucky fanfic, uh, which a friend wrecks to me. Uh, amazing. It's incredibly good. It's called If They Haven't Learned Your Name by Silent Auris, which is of my favorite genre of MCU fanfic, which is we take Winter Soldier and then we pretend everything else doesn't exist apart from like little nuggets of characterization that we maybe like. <laughs> so it's very much a post-Winter Soldier. Bucky is going around trying to destroy Hydra bases. Sam and Steve and Natasha are sort of doing the same thing. Uh, and it's a very, very, very slow burn of them teaming up and Bucky having some recovery narrative, you know, in the grand tradition. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very, very funny. It's very well written. The banter between the characters is absolutely spot on. So that was a great thing to dive into for a few days. I have also gotten into the TV show Succession, which I've been meaning to watch for some time. This is a very thinly veiled fictional version of the Murdoch family, and it is stock full of absolutely god-awful people. Nobody <laughs> in this has that. any moral compass. They are all completely irredeemable, but the writing is amazing. It's written by the person who did The Thick of It. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, which, you know, the, the sweary British politics show. And even though nobody in it is worth really getting behind and wanting to succeed, you find yourself very unwillingly sucked into the narrative anyway. Wonderful show. Very cynical. I have to sort of alternate it with things that are not trying to just drain my soul with depression about the state of the world. 
Uh, so in another another corner of the narrative, I have read a series of romance novels by Charlie Adara, and they're called The Wolf at the Door Romances, and they are about an FBI agent and a, his werewolf partner. Okay. And they would not be my usual thing. I'm not much of a paranormal romance reader, but I had these recommended to me a lot. And each one is a standalone procedural murder mystery. But my favorite thing about them is that they are probably my the best demonstration I've come across of how a relationship can develop compellingly across many books, like about five books in the series, when they get together in the first one. Mm. Uh, so each book, they have something that's going on in the relationship and it's deepening in a small way. And it's just really realistic and they manage to maintain romantic tension and relationship tension across the five books really well. So I loved those and I ate them all up very fast. And the last thing I'll talk about is the book that I'm almost finished reading. And this is a novel called The Absolute Book by a New Zealand author called Elizabeth Knox. This one's been out for a while, but I've only just picked it up. I have been trying to think of the best way to describe it. And what I've come up with is if Diana Wynne Jones wrote a Dan Brown novel. It's basically a literary thriller which half takes place in fairyland. And I, mm. that's about all I can say in terms of how to explain it. So it's written like a literary novel. It's got some really exciting, like, thriller aspects. There's a MacGuffin of a very old book, which has possibly caused every library it's been stored in to burn down over the course of history. <laughs> and people are trying to find it. But also, there are fairies. Also, you know, it's, it's just completely a wild ride. And it keeps turning corners that you don't expect. But I absolutely love it. So if you think you would like a Diana Wynne-Jones novel, definitely for grown-ups with strong Dan Brown thriller elements, I cannot recommend this one highly enough. Mm. Amazing. So yes, I will stop there and not talk about all the other books, but there have been so, so, so many. 41. This is where all of my books have gone, Freya. Um, because Macy, since we ended the podcast, which wasn't just at the beginning of this year, but also includes all of December, I've read two books. Total. Nice. Total. Um, nice. And um, one of them is I finally got to N.K. Jemison's um, the, the City We Became. And great all sorts of eldritch shenanigans um, and an ensemble cast with sort of a vignette storytelling, but it manages to maintain tension through those different points of view very well, which nobody here needs me to tell them to go read N.K. Jemison. And I finally mm. got mm. to Rivers Solomon's Sorrowland, which... <gasps> Funky fungus bullshit. Yes! Uh, it's a horrifying um, book about a young woman who escapes a cult that have turned her into... Uh, what's the thing that you put chicken eggs in to make them happy? An incubator. An incubator. Yeah. An incubator for horrifying mutable fungus stuff. Um, and lives out in the forest on her own trying to survive while turning into a mushroom question mark. Mm. That's th and th that's a very specific genre, and I keep being surprised how much of that genre there is for Macy to delight in. Yeah, she also spends some time banging a hot biker chick, so there's that. Um, this is a book specifically <laughs> for Macy. Mm -hmm. There we go. Uh, it's, it's a very good book. Um, but no, I've I've just still not had much luck making my brain do books mm. of late or TV either. My brain is just like, no, content is just no. You know, that's fair. But over in the fanfic land, um, you remember a little while back I told you guys about the series titled The Devil Goes Down to Georgia and Then Goes Down on Johnny. Mm. I do faintly and remember this. Yep. Well, the, the main fic of that is now finished at 30,000 words. It's called A Cornstalk Fiddle, and it is very worth the read. Um, and that one was great. And that was by... Not Because of Victories. There we go. So people can find uh, that it. That title I love. It sounds uh, like a really whimsical title. And then you look at it again, you're like, that is a dick joke. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I... It's right there. It is right there. But it's very um, Southern Gothic, um, which mm. I think is appropriate. And the other one that I was reading at the same sort of time is called To Call the Darkness Home by Scribe, And it is a fic from Justified Fandom, which is an unhinged TV show about sort of backwards Appalachian redneck 
conflicts and the sort of entangled, complicated relationships that you get into when your father is possibly running a gang and or a meth ring and one of your buddies comes back as a cop. Um, and this one is that, but with added Cthulian horror terrors. And is great. Mm. It's very, mm-hmm. it's like fantastically written. Um, really gorgeous prose. I strongly recommend that. That's To Call the Darkness Home by Sio Scribe. And nice. one last pick, because those two were both novella length. Um, I have lately been reading a Severitis fic, which is the great tradition of Harry Potter in which Harry's father is Severus Snape, called The Heir to the House of Prince, um, which is very dark, complex, massive world building. Um, A queer Harry who was fucked up by the fact that he was seeing Cedric before Cedric died. And so it retcons in Mm. some queer themes to give more to dig into. I read it in about three days it's 650,000 words Typical. Long. Typical Macy. Typical mm. Macy. Very, very good. Very good. Very good. Um, and the sequel is upcoming. So those are my reads. Very nice. Lovely. Uh, my big project has actually been writing rather than reading. Uh, Victoria Goddard and I are doing a writing challenge together where we are writing one million words or trying, trying to write one million Goodness words me. in the calendar year of 2022 <laughs> without fucking up our brains or our hands. Um, I support you speed. all the way Fox from speed. a distance. Thank you. Yes, um, just watch as you like race off towards the horizon. And be like Godspeed. So <laughs> I have time. written. I have written one hundred and forty thousand words so far this year. I'm a little bit behind, but I am confident that I can yes, catch yes. up. Possibly. Um, I've started doing dictation rather than typing because, like, it's just a lot of typing. Um, yeah. So far this year, I have published two novellas and an article, and I have a third novella coming out probably around the time that this episode is going to air in early April. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really been reading books very much, mostly because I've been beta reading Victoria's books as fast as she can write them. It's just a lot of work that we're producing right now. Um, so I was going to say, if you have committed to read to not only writing a million words, but also then Beta reading a million words on someone else's behalf. I can understand that's probably taking up most of your time. Well, (laughs) it's because there's nobody else who would can be burdened uh, with this, (laughs) you know. Um, uh, So and yeah, so all of this is is uh, self-published because I'm doing hybrid publishing now, which I'm having a really great time with. I'm it's just a lot of fun. Uh, and so two of the works that she has published, which I have beta read so far, are a, the short story Aurelius to be called Magnus and Portrait of a Wide Seas Islander, which are both in her Nine Worlds series, uh, which is also uh, what Hands of the Emperor is from. So that's great. Uh, the one thing that I have been consuming lately is that I finally got around to starting to watch Black Sails. Uh, mostly for book research, because I may be writing a pirate book right now. So I was like, I guess, I guess I should finally watch this We thing. are very sorry about the first half of the first season. I'm past the first season already. Um, I'm, on the, Good. I'm on the like second episode of the second season, I think. And it, I think it's like just starting to get like properly queer. And by properly, good, good, by good. properly queer, I mean more than just two hot chicks make out. You know, the way that I saw it in this context, I was like, this is uncomfortably male gaze for me. I think I think maybe the way that the, the first relationship is framed is a little bit like that. And then just by the time we hit season two, everyone's like, nope, guess what? We're here. We're complex. But I think that's just the side effect of how the first season was shot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just like the way that it was shot um, and just like the way that it was framed there were some tropes well, that made me a little bit uncomfortable besides all the sexual assault well that there was that it starts out contextualizing the queer relationship around prostitution yeah. um and it does take a little bit of character development to learn more about that relationship and make it into an actual thing which i don't think they had in mind when they first started filming right. and that's i think what comes across um but even that relationship i think in retrospect later on is genuinely yeah. a thing yeah. not just fan service but i don't think they meant it to be at the time right you right, know? right right like i can definitely see it as something that will grow into because that's what everyone says everyone says like it's like the relationships become really interesting and complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really emotionally committed to any of these characters yet. Um, except for the ones that only, like, appear on screen, like... <laughs> I, I, like for 30 seconds every other episode. Jack Rackham, my love. I love him. I no, love season him. Season three. Season three. Great. Alex, just stick great. with yeah. it. Great, great, great. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm completely unsurprised because Jack Rackham is a chant who somehow ended up in a pirate movie. Like, that's basically <laughs> what he is. He's yeah. a delight. He, and he's like, a he's an adorable gremlin. Um, I love everything about him. Anyway, <laughs> instead of talking anymore about pirates... Let's have an episode about the natural enemy of pirates. The, nat- the natural enemy, natural enemy of pirates. Well, <laughs> are sharks the natural enemy? In, in literary pirates? fiction, surely the natural enemy is crocodiles. I was going to say the British Empire is oh. the natural <laughs> enemy of pirates. <laughs> We're coming at that from a couple of different directions. There, anyway, <laughs> colonialism, crocodiles. <laughs> What is the difference? What is the difference between, you know, these movies actually do posit, like, what is a shark, really? But, but, okay, dear listener, for a moment, I have to explain the physical comedy of this moment because we are on the radio, yeah. uh, which is that Freya made a gesture in which she lifts up in one hand colonialism and in the other hand she lifts up crocodiles, but she lifts up crocodiles in a hand that is covered in a cast. <laughs> and I'm just like, I see why the crocodiles come in. Um, it's very good. It's very good. I, do you need a hook? We can get you a hook. I was looking at my other window, so I didn't see that physical comedy. So thank you also to me. Uh, or so, thank you to Macy for the service to me also, as well as to the dear listeners. I'm supposed it's to talk gag. about the first tentpole, so I'm just going to do that now, whether or not anyone continues go, to go, listen let's to me. Go. So the first tentpole is, of course, like our the classic of the genre, which is Jaws, uh, which came out in like I don't know 1820 or some like millions of years ago. <laughs> yeah, five thousand years ago they released the movie yep. Jaws, <laughs> um, which is a movie about a shark which eats some people and then some men have some masculinity about it and want to sure do. and want to like kill the shark to protect the women's and the children's. Yes. Um, yes, very important. Yes, and then they do that. That's the whole plot of the film. There's a well, they shark. also yeah. want to kill the shark in order to reopen the economy. Oh yes, which, and the economy. Oh, yes. you know, what, watching this film after three years of pandemic, very <laughs> on the nose. Given that the uh, entire first half of the film is someone being like, "But the economy, but the economy. we can't just close the beaches. People have to be able to go out and have freedom of movement and spend all their money. We need the summer money." Yeah. The summer people. The summer people. Did the mayor get eaten in this film? I don't think no. he did. He was one of the We pe- forgot that any characters existed. Yeah. Yeah. Like they all just vanished. It was very weird. It was. It was a very strange film in many ways. <laughs> um Yeah, I, I I went into watching it like expecting it to be a joke. And it didn't realize that it was a joke, did it? No, it took itself. Well, it's because very it's seriously. not the joke. It's yeah. the thing that all the jokes are based on, right? Like it's the it's the thing that played it straight and actually is quite a good movie. Mm. And then no, everything it... since then has just built on top of it, and that's where the joke comes from. See, I it was it, I I went I got about a third like two thirds of the way through thinking, okay, this is a film. It's respectively film shaped it has characters and arcs and and then we went on a discovery channel boat trip mm. for like half the film and i'm like D- where where did the, the film go yeah yeah it's a drama it's thing it's it's <laughs> it's producing a genre but it doesn't know how to be the genre so it's not structured like an action movie it's not structured like a classic horror movie it's like basically a semi-political interpersonal masculinity <laughs> crisis drama that yes. just happens to involve a shark. Yes, yes. <laughs> One of the things that I meant to look up before this episode and then forgot to do so was the effect that shark that Jaws had on how mm-hmm. people viewed sharks, right? Because after that movie, like, the amount of shark hate went through the roof right. and it's something oh, that... Oh yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, and it it's something that, impact. like... Shark educators, which are people who educate people about sharks, not people who educate sharks, just in case that wasn't clear. Uh, It's something that that, uh, they have been trying to counteract for years and years because sharks aren't, for the most part, inclined to eat 
people unless they think you're a seal. Right. Yeah. I think if you're interested in this film and want to know a lot more about like anecdotes about why it is the way it is and who was fighting behind the scenes <laughs> and why you don't see the shark for the first half yeah. of the movie, which is spoilers because they ran out of money and couldn't actually involve the animatronic shark until the very end. And they accidentally mastered the invisible horror that then you see in Alien because of budget issues. Uh, but if you're interested in hearing more about that, I really recommend the episode that the podcast Overinvested did on this mm. movie. Because they see, like looked up a lot about the history, like the oral histories and stuff of the film. And it is absolutely wild. That is but you're completely correct that it then ruined shark reputations because the shark in this is not a shark it's a serial killer yes 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 yeah. and it's so funny that you say that they accidentally invented the invisible horror because like in the first half of the film i was like sitting there with my hands over my face like going oh god oh god oh god having my you know horror movie reaction and having to like make the the screen real small which is one of the mm. ways that i deal with horror movies because um, if it's full mm -hmm. screen, then it's scary. Um, <laughs> but like uh, but anyone seriously. who has ever done any kind of like open water swimming, like the horror of something touching your foot. Uh, let's not talk about it. No, <laughs> fuck, fuck the sea. Yeah, but I was, I, was yeah, sitting there, the I was sitting there watching this and going like, holy shit, it's so effective that they're not showing the shark because it makes it so much scarier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and even then when like in the latter half, once we hit, once we hit like Discovery Channel fishing show, they had right. to be like, "How do we show where the shark is? Let's use floating boxes because they couldn't show the shark. <laughs> they, they didn't have enough shark." But even that is kind of creepy in its own way. Like yeah. you got this gaudy yellow thing, be like, "That's where the shark is." It was like the shark yeah. had like three hearts, and they had to hit it with three boxes in order to get it to low enough hits to be able to battle the shark in the boss battle. Yes, I'm like what yeah. is happening? What? 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 Why is the shark biting the boat? How is the and shark the winning shark... when it bites the boat? And why does the shark insist on, like, continuing to attack instead of, like, fucking off and doing something else? Yeah, that's I, because it's a serial killer. Shark. I respect <laughs> like... its urge to eat every single it's... weapon it gets stabbed with. It's because of the sunk cost fallacy. Oh, Very hey. good. Oh, no. That's true. It's going to sink you. that ship, come oh, what may. I was going to say, come hell or high water, which is also a pun. <laughs> hey. Oh, mm. But it's true. Like, you know, I think they, it, because it set the tone for the shark genre, right. they had this, like, not necessarily even tongue-in-cheek, but just completely bald-faced thing of, like, oh, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a killing machine. Its eyes are dead. <laughs> All it wants is to kill, 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 kill. And then, like, if that's your foundational text... Where do you go from there? Like, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Like, this is and just a I, fucked up shark that needs a shark psychologist. It, like, you shouldn't be painting everyone by the same brush. Yeah, exactly. The, the one that's yes. just that's coming out of the shore and killing the kid, which is when you're like, oh, no, you know, this isn't this isn't the movie that is pulling its punches. This I was I was fairly one. against the shark from when it was used to punish a woman for trying to have sex, which is the first yeah. thing that happens in the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Shark, where do you get off oh, being no. moralizing? She can have sex if she wants to. It's not your job to police her sexuality. Uh, how dare you, Shark? How dare you? Yes. Uh, what did that kid do that, like, so made you fucking mad, Shark? Yeah, right. Um, that kid was Just an a asshole, dweeb. probably. Was a dweeb. Yeah. Um, no, but, like, the I, I do, comparing it to one of the next tentpoles that we're going to talk about, um... I do prefer the animatronic shark over the terrible CGI shark. <laughs> yes. I did find the animatronic shark, like, easier to suspend my disbelief for. But I it feel that was because more they like a shark. didn't show mm. you it much, though. Like, I think that that also helped a lot. Mm. But also, yeah. like, and the fact, I think, and this probably helped the actors, I'm not going to mind read, but the fact that they were doing this, they filmed this on the open sea, which was almost never done. Like usually things get yeah. filmed in tanks, which is where they, fil sure. they filmed um, the next temple in the Titanic set tanks that oh, they built. Uh, <laughs> and this was on the open sea. They're like in cages that are being submerged. They are on a boat that is actively sinking <laughs> and there is something enormous and animatronic in the shot with you. Like I can understand how that would be legitimately quite terrifying even though you're just acting yeah. it 
That is very yeah. method. So Jaws, a shark movie. It establishes some classic tropes. Mm-hmm. It sort of establishes the whole genre. It's kind of necessary to watch this to understand the other tent poles and kind of where they're coming from because they are actively right. in conversation with Jaws and right. we know they are because of the direct Jaws references. Yes. Constantly. Constantly, <laughs> constantly, constantly. Shall we continue? So funny. Yes. yes, we shall continue. All right. Me. So the next uh, shark movie that we decided to watch, we decided to watch one classic, one good and one terrible. Um, and mm. this is the one good movie that we decided I, I don't to know. watch. Good <laughs> in quotation marks. But Listen, like... we're grading on a curve. Yes, we are, <laughs> we are grading on a curve. On a curve. <laughs> I enjoyed this film. Uh, shockingly, sincerely uh, enjoyed this film. This is Deep Blue Sea. Oh, bad. This um, is a good horror action film. Yes, yeah. right. And it's it's a film about a hot, evil, mad scientist lady, which I, for one, respect. Um, I respect her and her deep, deep desire to cure Alzheimer's, which is mm. the driving force of this shark movie. <laughs> but being, but, like, a little bit sexy and evil about it. Yeah, yeah. She's very, like, cold and determined yeah. at all times. And that's hot. Um, but... So this is a film set in a research station in the middle of the ocean in which a small team of scientists and a fish wrangler um, are trying to control a number of sharks whose brains they have deliberately enhanced in order to to harvest this this miracle drug that's supposed to cure Alzheimer's. Because that's what you really want in the world. You want a giant genius shark. I do want that, in fact. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> this film is catering to my desires in particular. Hot um, evil ladies and giant genius sharks. That's what I'm yeah. saying. That's what I'm all, here for. All that's missing is the mushrooms. <laughs> but but they have they have a bad incident and some bad press goes out. And so the mean money man says, no, I am taking away your money. And yeah. the hot scientist lady, who is for some inexplicable 90s reason wearing a knee length blazer with her suit, um, I says, kind of liked her just come back with me. Yeah, I mean, it's inexplicable. Whether I liked it or not is immaterial. <laughs> it's inexplicable. <laughs> Go ahead. Take, takes... Says, says to important business dude, come with me to Sharktopia, which is not its name, uh, and I will show you the science. Yes. Come with me to Jurassic Shark. Yeah. Yes, basically. <laughs> uh, and then um, all hell breaks loose and the sharks uh, sink the station and eat everyone. And there's a lot of running around. There's a lot of very inventive shark versus human battle Mm -hmm. um there is an amazing uh like victory speech given by the money dude who is samuel l jackson who immediately gets bitten in half by a shark while giving the rah-rah speech so good perfect Um, just there's the 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 preach the chef cutting his way through his own oven in order to use the gas to explode the shark while he is trapped inside said oven i love that man I love that. Was he so was probably good. my favorite character. I'm yeah. so glad that he was he one was of the so people good. who survived. I'm yeah. still mad about his parrot. Well, the thing is, I, 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 I suspected he was going to survive, but I knew he was going to yes. lose his leg because he's Long John Silver. He's the chef and he has a parrot on his shoulder. God damn it. So I was God like, he's going to lose his leg, obviously. Freya! God damn it. I did not realize that. No. What? Really, as soon what? as there was the guy in a galley with a parrot, I was like, oh. This is going to be fun. God, He's the only damn. one in that movie who gets bitten by a shark and survives. Like yeah. when they are finally, so so they. This is a submerged uh, research station, right? So they are not only being chased by sharks; they are falling into the depths of the ocean while being claustrophobic. Um, and when they manage to escape from the claustrophobia. The chef gets bitten by a shark and you're all like, oh no, he's dead. He's being dragged mm. underwater. But he's the only one who survives that circumstance. And it's very bad. Yeah. He was a I, great, great character. I genuinely thought, okay, the way that this movie sets it up, I genuinely thought that this movie was going to pull the trope of uh, the black guy dies first, right? Because mm. the chef is black. And um, because like he's a little bit that um 
like a little bit the comic relief character and Mm -hmm. like he's he keeps getting into these situations where you're like any second now he's going to fucking die and then he keeps having these narrow escapes from it which actually builds up a lot of the tension exactly yeah and and so you get to that final scene where he finally gets bitten by the shark and you're like oh god damn it i really liked him i'm sad he was so close he was so close he almost made it and then he actually does survive and i was genuinely like thank god you did it you averted the trope good job so i went Um, i did a little bit of wikipedia diving about this movie because i was curious about like some of the choices (laughs) that were made and apparently the director mostly (laughs) wanted to cast like largely unknown people so (laughs) that you would have this sense of uncertainty as to who was going to survive and he kills off the only famous actor in the cast yeah. quite early and that's obviously a deliberate like no one is safe kind of choice right right, 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 uh, right. and apparently at the end of the first sh- uh, draft of the movie um they actually shot the movie like this uh the lady scientist survived but then mm. test audiences didn't like it because they felt that she right. was the villain yeah, uh, who right. had created the, the smart sharks in the first place and so she had to be punished and so they had yes, to reshoot like- it so that she died <laughs> And in fairness to the film, um, she chooses to die. She Hmm. cuts her palms and uses herself to lure the shark in so that the shark will not escape and cause a race of super sharks to proliferate the ocean. It was a good death. It was a a a good death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the film did kill all their women, but they had three women who had personalities and, like, got to say words, which is certainly more than I can say for Jaws. Mm. Because I have seen gay porn with more female dialogue than Jaws. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, I liked I did, I, watching this. I sort of then looked at Jurassic World and was like, "Oh, here's where the blueprint is." Because the the female scientist character having this, you know, sort of like slightly, uh, you know, hostile relationship with the person who wrangles the smart wildlife was a qu- quite a good blueprint for the Claire and Owen relationship in Jurassic World. And I had a huge soft spot for the character of Claire, who I think was very badly maligned by the film she was in. But because of that, I was like very attached to the to the scientist lady in this because she was the sci- you know, coming at things from a different angle than you would usually expect for the sexy one who you know has to take off all of her clothes in order to stand on her wetsuit and then be in a white bikini for shark mm. reasons. Another th- yes, <clears throat> what a thing that I really appreciated about this was the variety of different kinds of death there were. Other yes. than it, even even in like being chomped to death by sharks, right? There was like variety right, right. in how it happened. It wasn't just like someone gets snatched off the edge of a pool. That only happened once. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, and it's because because they had yeah. done that step up from okay, we have like a sole serial killer shark to these ones are you know intelligent creatures like, that can cooperate. Yeah, and so well, once and that's you've why got... I had a note that was like plausible science because this is mm-hmm. not plausible science. I do realize that I'm not, in fact, in in shark brainwashing territory. But like, there was a reason for everything that happened. There was like mm. a logical attempt to explain why they were in this situation, mm-hmm. and like there was an internal consistency to the logic in this film that we never see in others. We get shown very early on that the sharks can recognize and understand the concept of guns. Yes, right. Um, we get. So when we are later on shown the shark reacting differently to somebody carrying it, we're like, oh, we know that. We are shown that these sharks have been deliberately engineered to be smart enough to try to sink the station yeah. in order to escape. Unlike where with Jaws, he's like, why would the shark in Jaws know that the people will stop shooting him if he bites the boat? Yeah. Uh, this, who knows? There's, there's no logic there. here. Yeah. It's, no. But there was also a lot of really cool science stuff with like air pressure and, uh-huh. you know, we, if we open this door, the pressure will equalize and then the wet pool will explode water at us. And ah, it was basically it's basically sci fi. Yeah, it may yeah. Well do like submarine spaceship horror. Yeah. yeah. With like yeah. we're trapped here in this one airlock and then we have to work out how to get to the other part of the airlock. Like it did yes. have that feel of those like claustrophobic sci fi Yes. ensemble films and mm. really if you if you just replace the sharks with aliens then it's like exactly right. a sci-fi film it was a space station on a yeah. space yeah. station yeah. it was yeah yeah it was we have captured or bred these creatures for research and now they are getting their own back and they're smart enough to do it you know it's that you know oh no the raptors can now hunt in packs and recognize human voices kind of thing right uh, who put this dot point that was here? me <laughs> Shall I read it? The Jurassic Park step up from mindless killing mis- machine to smart shark. Open parentheses. Smart. Close parentheses. <laughs> I don't know why 
smart, smart. is so funny to me. <laughs> I also laughed at it. It was very good. It's very good. Uh, next stop point after that is explosions as the only possible mechanism to kill a shark. Colon, discuss. <laughs> Why are there so many explosions? I feel like there are just so many easier ways to kill a shark. But like... Across these films, there is a remarkable amount of consistency mm. that explosions are necessary. I think well, it's just the sense dramatic. that they are like, they're like an armored tank. Like, and the only soft place <laughs> to get in is through the mouth. And so there is this insistence that if you're going to kill some, kill one, you have to get something in through the only opening that's available to you, which just happens to also be they the dangerous end. And they then once something is inside, bones. you can blow it up. They don't even have bones. They're not that tough you have metal they're fish they're fish they're just fish but they're not even because they, they they predate like carbon skeletons they have cartilage skeletons and they're yeah. all squishy and go flop. so this is so you this is the them. point on which on which the third film is actually winning uh, yeah i yeah, suppose with the chainsaws <laughs> the chainsaw Should no the opening to... one with like the the, the the pool cue oh that was quite cool Oh god. That was yeah, a little Freya bit. Freya is now in charge. Freya, tell yes. us about the worst movie I have ever the seen. The worst movie. <laughs> yes, so we of course had the pleasure of watching for our third temple the absolute classic film Sharknado. First Why in did an we do this to ourselves? Six movie franchise. <laughs> which I was not aware of until I went again Wikipedia diving and read the synopses of the subsequent five films, which absolutely fucking wild. Like, I won't describe They're them to you. They're all on but... Amazon Prime. You can watch them for free, dear listeners. Oh, oh apparently wonderful. we get to the point where, like, he's, like, time-traveling through the Wild West and Noah's Ark <laughs> with a t- with an aged-up alternate dimension version of his infant son. Holy shit. Like, Why didn't we watch that one? <laughs> Why didn't we watch that one? I think it's because I was not aware of that one. What the fuck? Well, okay. So I think as a franchise, the original Sharknado was a tongue-in-cheek action horror was with it? some comedy attached to it. Because it wasn't yeah. really... It knew it was stupid. No, did it, it, it knew it was stupid. It was kind of going back and forth between like being tongue-in-cheek and Yeah, it was playing quite a lot of it serious. straight. Like It was still aiming for pathos with some of the deaths yeah. and things. And I think the franchise probably just like got through through all that out the window as it got increasingly silly but sharknado the original uh follows a small group of people (laughs) led by a man who i think he's like a surfer slash question mark bar owner uh his name is finn Finn, which i'm like his name is finn which is a good shark movie name (laughs) who leads a small group of his friends inland to rescue his estranged wife and teenage daughter and then son uh when a flooding event coincides with a tornado and produces sharknadoes, which, you know, <laughs> meteorologically, probably not particularly sound, but we're just going to go with it for shark reasons. Mm. Uh, uh, in which we have a beautiful series of action set pieces of people trying to make their way inland, chased by flooding and sharks, and then a storm, and then both at once. There's sharks in the rain gutters. Um, there's a shark under your car there's, while you're there's driving. There's a shark which... in the swimming pool. There's a shark in the swimming pool. There's, yeah. there's sharks in the sky. Yeah, and not unlike the original Jaws, it is about a man having a masculinity about some sharks. Yeah. <laughs> in that he's, you know, oh, I have to rappel down and save some school children. Oh, I have a fraught relationship <laughs> with my ex-wife. Oh, it's all about me, you know. Yeah. Honestly, ju- justice for Claudia, like the poor teenage girl in this movie, That's has this movie. one scene where she's like, I feel like you just don't notice me and you and mum just take much more interest in our son. And then the entire last third of the film is son is hero in helicopter yep. with yeah. shark bomb. Yeah. Does the girl even get to say any words after that scene? I don't think so. No, she just like screams, dad! <laughs> yeah. A lot. I'll tell you, I'll so, tell you yeah. what I found mildly upsetting, which was that the actress who plays the bitchy ex-wife the sexy waitress and the teenage daughter all appear to be roughly the same age. That's also true. That was a little bit unsettling yeah. to me. It was a bit weird. Yeah. And you and you couldn't really And tell, you know what like... I found a little bit weird was that the the sexy waitress with the Chekhov's scar on her calf is displaced in the middle of the movie from having a love interest in the main character to a love interest in the main character. That was also unsettling, yeah, yes. It's yes. Bit weird. <laughs> but I, honestly, I did quite love the sexy waitress because yes, 
she, she was got the best. To, she got to be the character that in the first Jaws movie was like the grizzled old fisherman with a grudge against yes, sharks. Yes. And they're like, here is a character with a traumatic backstory about sharks. She's a sexy waitress yes. and we've given her a gun. And, and like, okay. literally she was the one who made the Jaws reference because she was like, yeah, like, she was the one going 700 people went into the water and 12 of them came out. Except yes! it's like 100 people went in the water and one 12 yeah. year old like, girl. I hate out. sharks. I hate and then sharks. she just goes around shooting them all in the head. And she gets the first shark killing in the movie. She gets to like drive a pool yeah. cue into a shark in the middle of a bar. So her character, I think, was like a very big redeeming feature for my enjoyment of this movie. I think so. I would agree. But also there was like a thing where so she she falls out of the helicopter at some point because they're in a helicopter trying to bomb a trying tornado. to bomb a tornado that's, that's right. the big that's solution how weather works, that's their, hold on hold on <laughs> let's tell the dear listeners about this dear listeners that's their big solution for there's a tornado yes, full of sharks going to let's just bomb it them. <laughs> because the sharks will only get better if we give them nitroglycerin God. um yeah, but and it I seems like that did create we more to... problems than it solved. Like, all the sharks were up in the air in the Sharknado, and then they bombed it, and then suddenly all the sharks were on the ground and still alive <laughs> and still trying to eat you. Because these are magic sharks that can survive for quite a long time out of the water and are just mindlessly hungry all the time. Yeah. But, but, but like, I was convinced they weren't going to kill her, so I was half waiting for them to explode the tornado and for her to come riding a great white out of the oh sky God. like some sort of avenging yes. angel, which would have been amazing. But instead, instead. there's this weird unbirthing yeah. <laughs> Chekhov's, that was Chekhov's weird. chainsaw. <laughs> In which our main hero gets swallowed whole by a huge shark while pointing a chainsaw directly into it, which is turned on. He then he would have killed her. Shark, which, sure. Yeah, no, no, right. Like, biblical reference. Fine, we're doing Jonah and the yeah. whale. Whatever. None of this is how it works, but sure. But then he falls out, and then she falls out. I'm like, bitch, you just cut her in half. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's what I yeah. was thinking. When, uh, that, and I was like, how did he not kill her with that chainsaw? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And how did she breathe for the, like, five minutes that she was inside the fucking Well, she was passed out and not breathing. So they had to give her, like, the son had to give her sexy CPR. Uh, How did I miss that? I mean, it was uh... was Little Red Riding Hood, except you can't do Little Red Riding Hood with a chainsaw. It has to be a knife or an axe (laughs) because you can't accidentally kill the person who was eaten by the wolf. Uh (laughs) Anyway. Uh, I love this film. We put ourselves (laughs) through that. I have a question for both of you. I have a question for both of you. This is the worst film I've ever seen. Did it happen? Mm-hmm. And and as you know, as both of you know, we have a podcast about talking yes. about things that have on it right deep now. literary merit. Did this film have even one single shred of deep literary merit? And can you identify it for me? Its literary merit came from the deep. Fuck you. Freya, what is your answer? <laughs> All right, I say yes in that it has a, you know, fairly pedestrian but very well-crafted rising action uh, narrative structure. Right, in that it does. It's, there's, like, it's very, very clear that you are trying to flee a danger yeah. and every time you get something, your be- your benefit gets taken away. So we're in a car, a shark yeah. ate the roof off the car, solid. <laughs> now sure. we no longer have a car. You know, like every time you in get something, it's, it's and then, and then, and then, and, you know, and then it, it brings back a whole lot of things that we have set up in order to save the day at the end. So I think in terms of basic structure, it is a well put together film on every it other resolved level. The scar- it resolved the Chekhov's scar. True. Yep. It, it, like, it, like, it followed through on a lot of its promises. It was also questionably intended from the prologue scene, I think, to be an ecological revenge narrative from the point of view of the sharks. Oh yeah, it's about global warming. <laughs> Yeah. Also Global- that. Except there was like the so- weirdly racist caricature of a Chinese businessman buying shark fin soup in the, in yeah. the middle, of, an middle ocean. of the ocean. And then trying to run away with the money in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a storm when he knows there's a storm going on. What? Yeah. So, okay. So, okay. So listen, listen, listen. So it's film. both, it is both an, uh, a ecological revenge narrative from the point of view of the sharks and also about climate change, which is why it is shark. NATO, Sharknado. Yes. Right? There's Correct. the sharks yes. and there's the weather. 
and the nados. Correct. Yeah. The sharks and the nados. Yeah, so it is about nados. these deep existential fears that we have of the way that we are affecting the planet <laughs> yeah. combining to have their revenge. Oh, that it's, it's that also is very literary. much about the, 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 the very intrinsic fears that one man has about the women in his possession. That's true. You know? It's very difficult for to be a man and to have on one hand a wife and on the other hand a sexy employee and on a third hand a daughter. Yeah. And that's so a really difficult place for a man. Moment to be of silence. In. Okay, so is man's. this actually like a menstruation anxiety movie? Is that what we're saying? Yes, oh, that's shit. also true. There's a lot of Shark Week. Shark Week. <laughs> there was a lot of Shark Week. <laughs> that, that that time where they they okay, so dear listeners, um sexy dad man makes it to ex-wife's house to reclaim his daughter and wife and reclaim his women folk and when he gets there he finds there is another man yeah but he is clearly in the parlance of these things a beta cuck oh my yes, god the female the, the the movie immediately resolves this conflict by yeeting the shark through the window and tearing the man to pieces which fills the entire ground floor of the house in like a bloody bath which then the women immediately start calling Did shock. Did you week. notice that there was a photograph of the boyfriend on the wall? Mm-hmm. Like that, like he walks into his own house and there's like a, a photograph of like sexy new boyfriend on the, like. Well, there was also a photograph of the wife. Like the first shot you see of her on the phone, she's standing next to a photograph of her own face. So clearly that's just what they go in for in that household. I did also enjoy the running gag of the reporter Keep keep saying like her her yes. name is jo- Joni jo- Johnny with an, with an I. I. It it had a couple yeah. it had a couple gags that it tried, and I think mm. that my biggest critique of it is that it didn't commit to the bit hard enough. How fucking hard could it have gone? <laughs> because it didn't need all the pathos what? and it didn't need all these like serious bits. It should have just been a comedy it film about a Sharknado. Did. Yeah, I think if we'd removed the, like, reuniting with my estranged family bullshit and just had, like, a comedy group of of buddies going out and fighting a sharknado. Just, like, a comedy buddy road trip with a sharknado. It would have been a great film. (laughs) Oh, the CGI was so terrible. I have seen Chinese dramas with better CGI than that. Uh, this is just lots of like very tiny clip art wiggling sharks pasted in midair uh, on this like imaginary tornado full of water that for some reason is like going in a circle in, in like a vertical direction. I don't understand. Anyway, it was great. Y'all should definitely watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, uh, there be wa- warning for like casual sexual harassment that goes completely unaddressed. Well, the guy, to be fair, the guy does get eaten by a shark. That's true. But we're meant to be sad about it. We are meant to be sad about it. He is framed as being... Because he's saving a dog. And that's why he gets eaten. Yeah. He's saving a puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So shall we talk about the evolution of the genre of literary meretitious shark movies? Certainly. How did we get here? It is Steven Spielberg's fault. How did we get to Sharknado? (laughs) How did we get from from Jaws to Sharknado? Well, I think a lot of people looked at Jaws and thought, this movie doesn't know how funny it is. Mm. And then okay. we're like, we could do this, but different and better. Because there's a lot of shark movies. And I'm just really sitting here wondering, what was it about Jaws? that kind Well, of histori- historically, it yeah. was the first summer blockbuster, uh, followed by mm. Star Wars a couple of mm. years later. They basically set the tone huh. for this big summer film uh, that could make a shit ton of money. And because Hollywood has always been Hollywood, a lot of people, I think, were just like, what if we just basically remake something, but just make it more so and bigger and more explosive? More sharks. So on one level, I think, on one level, and not like artistically, but I think because it was a huge film, like it made a, a lot of money, it won lots of Academy Awards, like it was a big deal film, you know, it rather than something else was then used as a jumping off point for a lot of... Mm. derivative films. Mm, that makes sense. And a lot of people kind of hooked on the shark element as being crucial to the blockbuster rather than like a fun summer beach movie with a big and, problem And to also solve. there's the element of the unknown, right? Because like you have the ocean, which is mm, the last... Sure. Which fuck is the ocean, ocean, fuck the sea. Um, which is the last mm-hmm. like unexplored area of the planet. And then you have like this ape- apex mm-hmm. predator mm-hmm. who is something that you can't always see coming and so it's it's just set up to be this kind and a beach which is between the world of the known and the world of the unknown is a liminal space where like story and myth can happen 
Um, and so, yeah, you with with a shark movie, you kind of have this perfect setup of what is this thing and how do we confront it's, it? It's also a funnily, um, it makes me think a little bit of the childhood game, The Floor is Lava. Oh. You have you have a built-in puzzle box um, where yeah. you have to create an environment where there is some places that the shark can go and some places that the shark cannot go. And you are forced to voluntarily enter the shark's realm in order to defeat it. But you could also be trying to retreat out of the shark's realm. Yeah, and right? that's why so I think shark you have to cross the boundary as a jumping the shark move in the genre of shark movies <laughs> hey. because it breaks the rule. It suddenly takes them out of the water and puts them in the air, which is not how shark movies are meant to work. <laughs> yes, you're right. It violates that compact. And by doing so, it unbalances the the, the, the entire root of the genre. The engine of the shark movie plot. Yes. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, which I think is why, in part, Deep Blue Sea, to me, is such a good movie is because it does so much interesting things with that concept of like where is a safe zone where is a danger zone because the sharks are what make that dynamic right the Mm. sharks are fucking with your environment in order to make everywhere a shark zone and nowhere a dry zone Mm. and because yeah and because sharks are like that you cannot ascribe them personality they're not characters like a serial killer or like a horror villain you know, they're just like, mm. uh, they are a bank, blank slate of danger onto which you can project whatever evil or anxiety or fear your film wants to be about. So like Jaws is basically about the ineffectuality of government. And it was like done around the, you know, post Watergate era. And like, it's about mm-hmm. even though you've moved as this small town, you just become this small town cop in this place where there's no crime, the danger is actually everywhere. You know, you can't escape the horrors of the, the world. politicians. And yeah. then we've got, yeah, Deep Blue Sea being yeah. about possibly, you know, science. science and the hubris of science, which is what Jurassic Park is about, and possibly also climate change. Uh, so, you know, whatever you want your movie to be about, in quotation marks, a shark is just the danger vehicle with teeth. And I think that a shark is inherently less relatable mm. than any land creature, mm. right? Because, like, you have something in common with even a T-Rex, right? In that you both breathe air and walk on the land. And, and so you can, you can picture a T-Rex being, I don't know, cute with its babies. And then maybe we feel a little bit sorry for it. And, like, we are sad that we have to blow it up. Mm. I don't know what happens in Jurassic Park. I've never seen <laughs> Jurassic Park. Um... But with a shark, it's just so alien and so other that you can just, like Freya said, you can just project all of the anxiety onto it. Well, Mm. and I think this is where, and like, this is the question that I was coming to, I think, in the end, is are shark movies, are they monster movies? Are they disaster movies? Are they zombie apocalypse movies? I maintain that Deep Blue Sea has a lot in common with a zombie outbreak movie. Yeah, yeah. It's in the, Mm. like, the Frankenstein model of you know, we created something, it's our fault. And it cannot be allowed to get out because it will infect the world and the world will be worse for that fact, right? Mm. And it's not quite infect because the shark is not infectious, but it's a a reproductive plague, right? Uh, So the shark will, you will have a plague of two smart sharks out in the world. Um, Whereas Mm. uh, Sharknado very much is in the vein of is it the day after tomorrow? Is that what yeah, I'm thinking of? Yeah, when and um, 2012, yes. I think, as well. Yeah, those yeah, yeah, types yeah. of disaster movie. The climate disaster. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's like it's an act of God, basically. It's just decorated with sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Jaws was just a monster movie. It's so, like, imagine a tornado that could bite you. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. How do, how do we make a, a climate disaster worse? worse? Well, it could have teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. And that, yeah. I mean, that, that really just comes down to this idea that you have to just one-up things that have already mm. have been produced. And you can't, if you're going to have a new spin-out, it has to be somehow more extreme, you know. Uh, mm. Because how otherwise will we know that the men who are fighting these things are more manly than the previous men what manlied? Yeah, yeah. We have right. to give them the a very large phallic... Uh, Chainsaw, and then let him penetrate the shark from the inside. Mm. Mm. All right. Okay. Anyway. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) 
Oh, dear. Uh, I want to point out one of my favorite dot points on this. Uh What is the shark a metaphor for? (laughs) And I replied, it's a metaphor for sharks, obviously. Yes. It's a metaphor for toxic consumption. Toxic consumption. Yeah, I mean, the shark could probably be capitalism. Let's be honest. The shark Uh, could be capitalism. I think lack of, like, attention to your surroundings, lack of care for others. There's a lot of, like, leaving people behind. Um, but also, like, I think... Symptoms of capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, guilt for trespass. Like, all that stuff about, mm. you know, the ocean is its realm. And, right. you know, if we just left the ocean alone, none of this would happen. And I do think that it's interesting also to see which of these movies... There's a certain underlying misogyny in the imagery around mm. shark movies, around the types of women who get to be eaten by sharks. Yeah. Because uh, it's always... <laughs> who get to be eaten. Yes, yes, yes. Well, but no, but you know what I mean. Like, I do they know never what show mean. an older woman who's just kind of paddling in the shallows getting eaten by right. a shark on the beach. It's, it's always the a hot s- chick in a bikini who's making out with someone. Right. Yeah. How dare yeah, you. Is the threat to society. Right. Yeah. And, like, even Nova spends half the movie in a fucking string bikini. Does she ever get clothes? No. Well, I she gets, she gets this, some this, like, lacy shirt that you can see through. But other than that, no. Yeah. You can and a still pair see, of shorts. And a pair of shorts. You can still see, kind of see her, her bikini through it. Yeah. But the thing, like, it, it's all about shock value. And you get shock value by right. killing young people. I actually quite liked that Sharknado's showdown was like, and now we're in a retirement home. And I was like, this is actually quite amusing. Like I've not actually seen a showdown in a retirement community before. And I was waiting (laughs) to see whether some of the old people would like get eaten or have to fight them off with walkers or something like that. Uh, It was, it was a very interesting shorthand for these are a group of people who we naturally should have sympathy for. Yeah. It's like, we've already used the school bus full of school children. Who is the next group that we have to protect with our masculinity? Yeah. Right. It's yeah. it's the women's, the children's, and, and the, the old, old people. people. <laughs> Ta-da! Uh, is that the end of the episode? Do we have anything else to say? We could spend a couple minutes talking about why Jaws is worse at tension than the other two. I no, I think we covered yeah, that. Yeah, I think we covered that. that. I think we did. I'm happy ending it there. I think we did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that was an episode, I guess. Thank you for joining us, dear listeners, for this gremlin episode about sharks that nobody asked for <laughs> none of this is how sharks work here's no, what or we meteorology <laughs> here's here's what we were going to do we were originally like talking about doing this episode where each of us would pick three terrible shark movies oh and gosh. have to tell everyone else about them i'm glad we didn't do that because I didn't need to watch three terrible shark movies in my life. If you would like a recommendation for the only other terrible shark movie that I have seen in my life, which is Sharks in Venice, which is so bad that they basically had to keep reusing the same shot because they just didn't have enough footage. Uh, And it is about sharks in Venice. Fabulous. It's even worse than Sharknado. (laughs) I, the, the next one on my list was the Megalodon, which I have been told is a shark movie. Oh yeah, that's the one that's like, the way we went up it is that the shark is just really, 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 really big, right? It's just really, really, really Large But no, but like, large sharks, sharks don't swarm. Sharks do not swarm. None of these sharks should be swarming. You know what I think we should do for the next terrible shark movie? We should give the shark a gun. (laughs) I agree. How is it going to fight? Sharks with gun, with its jaws, I don't know, with its teeth. With its little fins. Is this fins. like the cows with no, guns? No, wait, no, no, no. It's, it's, a, it's a genetically modified shark that has guns for flippers. <laughs> it has a laser, laser on its head. Yes. It has a laser. Hollywood, call us. everybody thanks for joining us for this episode of be the serpent a podcast of extremely extremely deep literary merit we hope you had fun with this little random nonsense episode happy april fool's day did we get you i bet we got you uh so after we recorded this episode but before i was finished with the editing for it we found out that we've been nominated for a fourth year in a row for the hugo award for best fan cast Darling listeners, thank you so much. It really is incredibly touching and flattering, especially to be remembered and honored like this after we've gone on indefinite hiatus. 
Also, we're feeling a bit embarrassed about going, LOL, let's do a shark episode in Tentpole Sharknado. And coincidentally, that's going up just days after the nomination will be announced to the public. But, uh, welp. Hello, new listeners. What an interesting introduction you just had to the podcast. Uh, since we are still on indefinite hiatus, I don't have a next episode's tentpole to announce or a podcast Patreon to jangle at you, so I'm just going to tell you where to find each serpent and some of our other uh, work and current projects. Freya is on Twitter as at Freya Mosk. If you haven't read it yet, go read her debut novel, A Marvelous Light, which just won an award from the Romantic Novelists Association in the category of fantasy romance. We are so proud of her. Congratulations, Freya. Uh, she also has the sequel, A Restless Truth, coming out on November 1st. Uh, I believe that is available for pre-order now, so go check that out. Uh, links to everything will be in the show notes. Uh, Macy is on Twitter as at English Mace. She just had a new poem published with Julia Rios called Heat Death, which is available for anyone to read. Uh, links to that will be in the show notes as well. And of course, longtime listeners will remember that she helped put together the very queer short story anthology Silk and Steel. So if you haven't had a chance yet, go pick that up, wreck it to your local library. Uh, it's amazing. I, Alex, am on Twitter as at underscore Alex Rowland. I'm independently publishing a bunch of new works this year, and I have a very queer fealty and feelings novel, A Taste of Golden Iron, coming out from Tor.com Publishing on August 30th. You can get all of these from wherever you usually order your books, but if you live in the US or Canada, then buying them directly from my website is the best way to support me. That's alexandrarowland.net slash store. Again, everything, show notes, just go look at it. <laughs> so thanks again for all of your support, darling listeners. We hope you enjoyed this fun episode. And by the way, your skin is just so smooth. Wow. And yes, that is a reference to the sharks are smooth as hell shitpost. <laughs>